This is Real Estate Rookie episode 307. If you build 50 to $100 or $150 a month, whatever it ends up being into your pro forma, it's never going to be an issue as you build out your portfolio. We see this with a lot of people we insure, right? Versus if you build out 10, 15, 20 properties, and then all of a sudden you realize that you've had sort of a, a back alley agent or whatever it is, now you have this additional expense to your business that you really weren't calculating for from the beginning. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today, we are talking about something that is both um, exceptionally educational, but as equally uh, terrifying. <laughs> We're talking about insurance for your rental properties. Um, and today we have on two guests um, and both of these guys have just like a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge when it comes to the short-term rental space. Um, but they're, they're actually kind of coming from two different perspectives. Um, so we have Christian who uh, actually, in addition to being an insurance broker, also runs the one brokerage with David Green. Um, and then we have, and we also have Darren who runs Proper Insurance, which is a, an insurance company dedicated to short-term rentals. So we're bringing them on to talk about all things rental insurance. And a, a couple of things I just want to call out that jumped out at me. Um, we, we talked about why you may not need an LLC and how your liability protection through your uh, insurance policies might be able to be able to protect you even better than an LLC can. Uh, we talk about price shopping versus getting the right coverage. We talk about questions that your agent should be asking you. And then Darren gives this really cool breakdown of the three parts of an insurance policy and, and what those three parts are and, and why they're important. Yeah. You also heard Darren in the intro too, after the episode number, kind of giving a disclaimer in as to like, you know, a lot of people try to cheap out on insurance so that, you, you know, their numbers work better. And just like any expense you have for your real estate deal is to make sure that it works in your numbers. It's not a deal if it doesn't work and don't try to give up some kind of coverage, make your insurance cheaper so that the deal actually does work. So we put that in the intro because we really wanted you guys to listen to that first before you go into this episode and hear all of the nightmare things and the expenses <laughs> that insurance may cost um, based on different things. So we you know it's impossible to cover everything about insurance, but we hope this is a quick uh, guide for you guys as to get a basic knowledge of your insurance policy, what kind of coverage you should have, and more specifically based on the real estate strategy you are doing. So Tony had brought up this idea on episode 296, and here we are making it happen. So thanks to you rookies for uh, listening to us. We're able to get things done and bring you guys some more expert guests along with having our favorite rookie investors on here. So head over to YouTube and search Real Estate Rookie and let us know on this video what are some other experts you want to have on the Rookie Podcast. Leave a comment below and let us know. And of course, make sure you are subscribed. Yeah. I love to get like an appraiser. Maybe if you guys are interested in that, someone from a title company, an escrow company, just all the different kind of services that you end up using as you build out your real estate business so that you rookies can understand from a service provider's perspective, what's important, what are things you should be looking out for? What's the sign of a good versus bad service provider so you can make sure you're building out your team the right way. 
Uh, so before we keep going, I just want to give a quick shout out to someone that left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This person goes by the username of Jeremiah Johnson one And Jeremiah says, I love all the information. It's great content. I'm on my second property with three doors total. I'm house hacking slash midterm renting for traveling nurses. I've been studying for over two years and have read over 20 books, uh, many from Bigger Pockets, and I've uh, read Multifamily Millionaire as well, and I love my BP family. So Jeremiah, we appreciate you, and kudos to you on your success. And for all of you that are listening, if you haven't yet left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you're listening, please, please, please take a few minutes out of your day to do that. Uh, the reviews really do help the podcast grow and reach more folks. And ultimately, the more folks we can reach, the more folks are able to impact and help, which is what we're all about here at The Rookie Podcast. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Darren and Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Darren, let's get started with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ashley. Darren Pettyjohn here. We co-founded Proper Insurance on the co-founder back in 2014. And basically, we saw a need for a specialty insurance product for the short-term rental industry. So we would define that as the Airbnb or Verbo market, basically properties that are rented for 30 days or less. And it was slow going in the beginning, like any entrepreneur. And then we started to pick up some steam 
and we earned an exclusive endorsement from Verbo uh, about five or six years ago, which really helped kick off the program. And I would say to date, as of now, we're, we're most likely the largest insurer of short-term rental properties in the United States. Uh, we insure in all 50 states, and it's been uh, the big success of of my business life was meeting two guys and, and starting proper insurance. Congratulations. That's amazing. What an accomplishment. We're really excited to, to have you guys here to really talk about insurance and not even just short-term rental insurance. Uh, Christian, what about you? Tell us a little backstory. Absolutely. Yeah. A um, little bit different, but similar uh, similar line entrepreneurship. Um, obviously, those who recognize me from the other podcast, um, I co-starred The One Brokerage with David Green, who's the host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. Um, I also am an insurance broker. I've been an Allstate exclusive agent, a farmer's exclusive agent, a state farm reserve agent, and now I'm an independent broker. Um, so I work with a variety of companies now. Um, and Darren, I can speak firsthand um, proper. There's a reason why they're probably the largest insurer of, of uh, short-term rentals. They uh, they got a policy that that knows the right things, that Airbnbs just have those Man, those fine-tuned things that for those of you listening to this who uh, who are potentially looking to get into the short-term rental market, there's so much you don't know. Get with the right people. Listening to this is a great start. Um, get the right people in your network because the smallest thing of not getting insured right could make a big difference. And that's the exact reason we wanted to do this podcast. Uh, so we're going to talk off talk about some stuff in general about insurance policies and insurance you should have in place. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll kind of niche down as to what are some things you need to know based on your investment strategy. So let's kick off with what are some common mistakes rookies make with insurance? So uh, first of all, are they even going to the right insurance agent or broker? And how do they know that? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, it's, it's you know, I don't want to say just don't go get the cheapest price because obviously price is important, but it's price shopping and prioritizing saving 20, 30 bucks on your annual insurance policy versus getting the right coverage. Right. I'd say that's absolutely number one, um, whether it's, you know, not insuring yourself for the right liability or the right use that you're using the property for. We spoke a little bit about short term rentals, but there's midterm rentals. There's, you know, rent by the room and house sharing. There's, uh, you know, whatever you're doing with the property, you got to make, you know, some people have mixed use, right, where they have a business operating downstairs. <laughs> right. Um, all of that is specific insurance, you know, in insurance specifics that the carrier is going to care about and they're going to rate you effectively. Um, and that's going to obviously impact your premium, but it's going to impact your coverage as well. Um, what do you think about that, Darren? No, that was great. And I think an overarching issue is insurance is a product that you don't use. Um, when you go to buy tennis shoes on Amazon, you use them, right? And insurance is sort of an afterthought. And unfortunately, a lot of people just focus on price. They shop the internet, they shop agents, and they almost think of it as something they have to have versus something they need and should understand. So the average property owner in the United States will file an insurance claim every nine years. So that's the equivalent of going and buying a really nice suit and then putting it in your closet and nine years later pulling it out. Um, so it's understandable where a lot of confusion comes into the market. And really, it's a price-driven market. We've all seen uh, the Geico commercials, the State Farm, Allstate, Nationwide, USAA, Liberty Mutual. 
whatever commercial you see, it seems like they'll all save you money. And we actually make a joke where if you switch carriers enough, eventually they will pay you uh, because you're saving so much money along the way. And, and obviously, proper insurance is different. We focus on coverage and we really look at it from a risk management perspective, because if you go all the way back to the founding of insurance, which was actually the 1600s in Lloyd's of London, when people were shipping coffee and tobacco and gold from the New World, the United States, over to Great Britain, um, they would lose their gold to pirates or to bad weather. And so the concept of insurance, of transferring that risk onto an insurance carrier was born in the 1600s. And that concept still holds true today. That's what you're doing when you buy insurance. You're taking your risk, you're paying a premium, and you're transferring that risk over to an insurance carrier. So when you buy a home or an investment or a business or whatever it might be, you don't really think of the claim. Uh, you think of how much does this cost? Because again, it's just a product that you don't use. Darren, so you're, you're telling me that uh, insurance policies found their origin because of pirates? Pirates and bad weather. Yeah. So <laughs> and that if is you wild. look it up, um, that the concept of insurance was was actually a coffee shop in London. Uh, it was the Lloyd's Coffee Shop. And there were a bunch of uh, pretty well-to-do folks sitting around. And uh, they, they basically decided to uh, put their money in a pool and insure these ships that were coming from <laughs> Uh, America over to Great Britain, but there was a catch. The catch was if the ship made it and there was no pirate or bad weather and your gold and tobacco made it, you didn't get your premium back. The insurance carrier got to keep the premium and and that concept still holds true today. Wow, crazy. I learned something new on almost every episode. That's wild. Um, Christian, I want to go back to you for this next question then. Darren, we'll hear, hear from you afterwards. But you said one of the, the challenges or I guess mistakes uh, that rookies make when it comes to insurance is putting price uh, or prioritizing price over getting the right coverage. Uh, define right coverage. If I'm a first-time real estate investor, how do I even know what right coverage means for me? Can you walk us through what, what things we should be looking for? Great question. Yeah. And I, I, it just goes to show that it's not people's fault while they do this, why they do this. Think of the last insurance commercial you saw. What was it about? 15 minutes saves you 15% or more. hundred <laughs> percent. It wasn't about insurance. It wasn't about insurance, right? It was just about saving money. That's what every insurance company ins um, commercials are about. And to answer your question, going to your, your insurance broker, your insurance agent proper, whoever it is, and giving the true story about what the use case of the property is or what your intentions with the property are is how you start that conversation. Now, that doesn't mean your insurance provider is good because Darren and I had some off off air talks about how other companies are not doing it right right now. But for instance, there's a there's a question on most insurance applications to say is one, more than one tenant going to be occupying the property per year. If you're midterm rental, short term rental rent by the room, the answer to that is yes. I can't tell you how many times I've seen, even on policies that I've gotten myself, I'll go to my insurance broker. They won't ask me that question. I just say, this is going to be a rental. They say, okay, we're getting you a landlord's policy, right? And I know what I'm doing. So I say, well, hold on, right? Like I stopped them. But if that was not me doing that, that person gets a one tenant a year landlord's policy. And if the, it, if the carrier ends up finding out that there were people every three days in that thing, because it's in the Smoky Mountains, Tennessee, and it burns down because the tenant did something stupid with the electrical, potentially denied coverage right there, right? Just because that question wasn't asked, 
right? And the carrier was not aware that it was insured correctly. They weren't insuring it as, you know, 50 tenants a year. They were insuring it as one, right? So all you can do is start the conversation. And if you get an idea that you're not being asked the right questions, it's very possible you're not partnered with the right person. That's the same with anything. I mean, you guys all the time, I'm sure interview realtors and lenders, you can, you can tell when you're talking to a good one, a lot of times, right? They're, they're taking an advisory kind of counsel position with you. They're walking you through the stages. They're letting you know what to look out for. That's the sign that, Hey, I might be in the right room with the right people now. Right. Um, but you, you won't even get to that point if you're not asking the questions. And that's the mistake most people make. They just go to their, they just go say, I want an insurance policy or I want a loan or I want to buy a house. And there's nothing more that's shared so it doesn't actually allow the advisor to advise, right? So Christian, what I'm ge- hearing you say is that like you also have to not only ask questions, but you have to give them all the information too, as to you have to be open and honest about what is going on in the property to actually get the correct coverage for yourself. Um, one question I do have real quick as far as like, asking your agent or your broker these questions is to, is there like one key question that you can ask and like a way to phrase it? So for example, with real estate agents, uh, we've had the, someone recommend to us, like, instead of asking an agent, do you work with real estate investors? Ask them how many deals have they closed with real estate investors or, you know, wording questions differently like that as to being able to get a specific answer. Um, so is there anything, any questions like that that you can think of to word differently to get uh, a more accurate response rather than, oh, yeah, I do everything. Yes, of course, I can take care of your short term rental policy. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Um I mean, I'd say first and foremost, I mean, what, and maybe this scales as you, you know, continue your journey, right? This is the question I ask now, but, um, you know, I'd go and ask, Hey, if I give you everything that I own, could you do, you know, could you analyze my net worth and insure me properly? Right. Cause not everybody needs mountains and mountains of insurance. Right. But like myself, if I went, I mean, you guys, if, if we went and got a policy from state farm, Geico, whoever, and they didn't quote one of us an umbrella policy on top of our landlords, they're doing you a massive disservice. Cause like we have a lot to lose, right? If somebody builds up a portfolio of five, six, seven houses and you're not insured and, and, and umbrellas are cheap. I mean, it's like you're paying. Can you just explain what an umbrella policy yeah, is real quick for anyone that's, that's that doesn't know, please? Yeah. Thank you. So on, on a homeowners, on, on car, on you guys think of anything that can be insured. Typically there's a portion of it that is liability coverage. And all liability means is that if you cause harm or some sort of, you know, pain and suffering to somebody, uh, they can be, re- you know, they can be compensated for that, whether it's through a lawsuit, you know, anything like that, right? This is hitting somebody with a car and causing personal, uh, personal injury. This is somebody, um, you know, being injured on your property due to some amount of negligence by yourself. You know, maybe you didn't repair the stairs on your Airbnb and your guest tripped down because there was a safety hazard and you neglected it. All of these things could be picked up under general liability coverage. The same thing goes with business, right? There's liability coverage when you own a business. Um, however, your home policy is not really meant to be a liability policy, right? And what I mean by that is that the home's primary purpose is to insure the home, right? If it burns down, if there's a storm, 
if you know all the if there's a pipe burst and your house floods you know all the, all things like that are why it's really there the liability coverage is just kind of like a little extra perk like oh by the way if somebody trips and falls in your house you can be covered what an umbrella policy does is that you have your car insurance your business insurance your home insurance but none of them's purpose is really liability an umbrella takes a a global stance on everything going on in your life and adds blanket coverage. That's what we call it. That's why it's called an umbrella. It's meant to cover everything you have, but strictly for liability. So this is if somebody were to sue me over and above what any of my individual policies cover, typically a home is a hundred to $300,000. What if you get sued for a million? Your home will cover you for a hundred grand. Does that mean I'm on the hook for the next $900,000? Yes. And that's if that's one of us happening, that means they're taking a house or a lawyer's coming after your business or they're coming after this podcast or they're coming after me and David with the one brokerage, right? That's that's what would happen if you didn't have the proper insurance. Proper insurance, huh? <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> no pun intended there, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Um, that's a great name. You get people accidentally saying that all the time. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that. all jokes aside, Instead of me being liable for that 900000 in the event I get sued for a million and my home covers me for a hundred, you can get an umbrella policy up to a million dollars, right? And now your insurance policies are completely covering everything and there's no situation that would lead, you know, to you having to sell your business, sell your home and, and you know, go, go backwards on all these hard things that you work to accomplish, right? Christian, a, a lot of good information. I, I want to pull a couple more threads on the umbrella policy, but before I do, you, you mentioned earlier on about the right coverage, about making sure that the broker is asking you the right questions. So Darren, I, I want to point this question to you first and then Christian, we'll, we'll hear from you. But uh, Darren, when you're, when you're writing a policy up for someone, what are the questions that you're asking that person to make sure you're getting the right information? And the reason why, why I want to know is because I, I want our rookies who are listening to understand if I'm not hearing these questions from my broker, then maybe I should be concerned. So what, what are some usual questions you ask someone when they come to you for a policy? Yeah, our application process is is fairly intense, right? And as far as short-term rentals are concerned, it's your online listing. And that's the beauty of the short-term rental business is these properties are advertised online. So you have a snapshot into the business, right? If you were running a coffee shop or a grocery store or any other business, um, your website and, and your business itself would be underwritten. Those would be the questions that you're asking. So my advice is, at least for the short-term rental segment, if, if that's what you're doing, you need to be very upfront with your real, with your insurance agent and actually send them the online listing. Unfortunately, and thanks to podcasts like this and, and getting the awareness out is we actually do hear a lot of people say, Oh, well, I don't want to do that because then my, my, my insurance carrier will cancel me. And it, it's just misinformation. Again, it goes back where the, the, the property owner just isn't quite getting, getting the idea that, look, you're buying insurance to protect you, right? So the online listing is the key. Um, that shows that it's a business. It also shows the amenities. If you have a swimming pool or bicycles or canoes or kayaks, whether you have a ring video doorbell in the front of your property, because we've actually started to run into quite a few invasion of privacy lawsuits. One that came up recently, actually, it's kind of funny, but the, um, the gentleman was smoking in front of the property. And then the host called them and said, look, this is a no smoking property. 
And the gentleman said, well, how do you know, know I'm smoking? And then realized that he had been being watched by the, by the ring video doorbell and the, in the front and filed an invasion of privacy lawsuit. So we do run into those um, from time to time. But again, maybe I'm getting a little off track here, but the online listing is is the key for the, the short-term rental aspect. Got it. And then Christian, just, you know, if you can just rattle off, like, what do you feel are some important questions on your side um, as a broker that if I'm a customer, I should expect to be asked to make sure I'm getting the right coverage? Yeah. I mean, not to broken record, but I always ask for a net worth analysis. You know, what else do you own to make sure I'm protecting you correctly? Um, you know, obviously bundling comes into play when you're a broker, because I want to make sure that we have the proper coverage on car, auto, home. So, um, it, typically it's a string, right? I ask, what's your net worth? What is that comp? You know, what is that comprised of? You know, what can we ensure in that net worth analysis? And then breaking it down more specifically to individual products, you know, for real estate use case, absolutely. How many tenants, you know, what's, uh, what I would actually really like to focus on is difference between replacement and actual cost. I've seen so many policies with actual cost value a lot, and I'll explain what that is. Um, basically, when, when you insurance companies have found so many different ways to be kind of tricky on how they insure stuff, like what the actual dollar amount is that they that they reimburse you for. And there's pretty much two that the industry has decided on. There's replacement costs and actual. And what that means is that let's say your house burns down right? Your roof has a value, right? Um, some roof policies are on actual cost, which means what's the actual value of that roof when it burned down after depreciation, after wear and tear, after everything else, right? And maybe that roof that as of right now would have costed twenty five, $30,000 to put back up, they're going to give you like eight grand for it. Right. That's the act because they're replacing the actual cost. They're not insuring you for the replacement value. The replacement value is how much does it take right now to put it back? <laughs> right. And that's at not including depreciation because you're not insuring the actual thing. Right. Um, you can do the same thing with, you know, your dwelling. If you have a guest house. Right. This is so common. Oh, my gosh. If you have a guest house or an ADU on the property, I'm in California. This is getting so common. I don't know if, where everybody's from here, but if if. If you have an ADU and you have just a standard homeowners or landlords policy, there's just a tiny bit of coverage for other structures, but it's not really built to be a dwelling coverage, right? So there's a lot of exclusions that that other structures coverage has. Same thing. Make sure as I would make sure that I'm asking that, hey, what's your plan for this ADU, right? I always, when I'm insuring property, I pull up the Google Maps view of it. I try to do the satellite, the top down, as well as the, the front facing from the yard, What's going on on the property? Do you have a horse stable? Oh, do we need some farm insurance? Do we need some some animal insurance, right? Um, so, I mean, I you guys can see the kind of string that I go down, but it, it could it could expand based on those answers, right? You're right. So it's just like the you you want someone that's going to ask a lot of questions. I think it's just that we're getting at here. That's and what I'm getting at. Yeah. If you reach out to someone and you know they say, "Hey, give me the address. Here's here's a quote," then maybe that that's not the right policy that you're looking for. Um, and, and I appreciate that because that's what I want our rookies to understand is like, hey, what's the level of of curiosity that we should see from these insurance folks as we're having those conversations? Um, the, the next question I have, and it kind of ties into what we've already been talking about, is the umbrella policy versus the LLC. A, a, a big 
not misconception, but maybe like an obstacle that new investors feel they have to get over before they can get started investing is, hey, I need an LLC. I need an LLC for tax purposes, which you don't technically. I need an LLC for liability protection, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. So where do you stand on the debate? And um, Darren, I think I'll, I'll go with you first and Christian will jump back to you. But if I'm a new investor and I'm just getting started, do I necessarily need an LLC for liability protection or can I get pretty good liability protection through something like an umbrella policy or, or something that that um, I can get from my insurance company? Yeah. So filing the LLC, the, the concept on that, right, is that they can't penetrate through the business to your personal assets, right? The, the issue with that is unless the house is in the LLC, unless the loan was actually under the LLC, it's pretty easy to to penetrate through those and to go after somebody's personal assets. It's, I wouldn't hang my hat on it. I mean, from a liability perspective, you have to think what's your biggest liability in life without a question, hands down is driving your car. If you're texting and you're driving or you're just driving in general, there's a high likelihood at some point you might hit somebody with your car. And at that point, they're going to come back to you for their bodily injury. Maybe their family sues you, worst case scenario, whatever it is. You have liability limits on your auto policy. Once those limits are exhausted, then your umbrella policy would kick in above and beyond that. The same thing goes for short-term rental properties. So if you think, well, okay, driving a car, it's essentially a weapon. What's your second biggest exposure in life? And what we tell people is it's your short-term rental business because you have people from all over the world coming to stay at a property that they've never been to. You're competing against Hilton and Marriott, and you're subject to the same hospitality laws. What that means is you have a legal duty to provide a safe premises to those people. A lot of people do not understand that. And so it's a business, but you have to realize a if you have personal liability and a personal umbrella on a investment property, that personal umbrella is not going to kick in above and beyond because it excludes business activity. So there's the personal world, there's the business world. So the only way to do it accurately is have an underlying business policy on your short-term rental. And then if those limits are exhausted, a commercial umbrella above and beyond those limits, there's a commercial umbrella, there's a personal umbrella. The personal umbrella will go over your car, your home, your auto, all the things that your boat, your ATVs, your motorcycle, all of the personal items you have in life. If you own a business, you have business insurance and a separate commercial umbrella above and beyond that business. So my advice would be, it's not a bad idea to put your property under an LLC, but what typically happens is people finance the house under themselves personally because the business has no assets. The business would never qualify for the loan anyway. So then they, they do the financing personally and then they go out and they create an LLC for 25 bucks and they try and quick deed the property over to the LLC or whatever it might be. And I'm telling you right now, we, we have paid million dollar lawsuits for drownings in swimming pools, carbon monoxide poisoning, invasion of privacy, 
decks collapsing on and on and on. And when someone gets seriously injured at your property, they're coming after you and their ability to penetrate that LLC is is very high. So do not solely rely on the LLC. So your solution to that is to get your usual coverage on the property, but also have the commercial umbrella policy over? It depends. I mean, for our program specific, our minimum liability is $1 million. So we kind of joke and say, look, a million dollars isn't what it used to be. But in, in the event of a, of a death suit, if somebody was to die at your property, it's always policy limits. It's always a million bucks. It's it's just the way it goes. And usually what will happen is the plaintiff will accept that, right? They'll accept the settlement of a million dollars and the family will will move on with life and it, it is what it is. But we do have a $2 million option that's built in where people can do a $2 million per occurrence limit. Uh, some people feel more comfortable with that. And then if you were a very high net worth individual and you wanted to go above a $2 million occurrence limit, you could buy a 5 or $10 million commercial umbrella, which again, we always have to tell people buy as much insurance as you can afford. Cause we do get some folks who just go, look, you know, I, I, I want to, I want as much as I can get basically, but most people are comfortable with a million dollar occurrence limit. And it's not very expensive. Is it? I mean, I think my umbrella policy is maybe, uh, I mean, it's less than $200 a year. Yeah. A core concept too, that, uh, really we didn't touch on earlier is the less expensive your insurance costs, the less coverage you have. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. So again, when you're dealing with an insurance agent, I, I would phrase the question as if they're saving you money, um, what coverage are you giving up, right? Because we insure tens of thousands of properties. We've written over, you know, 100, 150,000 policies and our risk is spread out. At the end of the day, we're, our goal is to collect more premium than we pay out in claims. But that margin is pretty small, right? We don't need a 40% margin. But at the end of the day, if, if you're getting less, if your insurance is less expensive, then you're giving up coverage, right? So a great example would be you switch car insurance and the agent says, oh, hey, I saved you $40. Well, then you need to ask, well, what coverage am I giving up? Why is this so inexpensive? And they say, well, let me do a coverage comparison. And oh, actually what you gave up was windshield coverage. So you no longer have windshield coverage, but I saved you $40 a year. So Again, a concept you just have to understand is if you're getting the least expensive or cheapest insurance, then, you, then you're getting the least amount of coverage possible. So ask your agent, what am I giving up by buying such inexpensive insurance? Darren, when we get a policy quote sent to us by an insurance agent, how much of that information is actually useful to us without seeing the whole policy? And is that something we should be requesting is uh, how do we find out what is actually covered in the policy? Should we be comparing it ourselves or should we be relying on the agents? Kind of walk us through once we get the quote, what we should be looking at and even how to read the quote. What is What information do we see on there? Right. And what you're referring to most times is what's called a deck page, a declarations page, where our insurance contract, for example, is, I believe, 95 to 100 pages, depending on the state. 
but yet the proposal that we deliver is only a few pages long. So it's a summary to your point, but you can get most of the crucial information from that summary. Um, as Christian pointed out earlier, whether it's replacement cost valuation or actual cash value on your building, your contents, and then obviously you have business income or lost rental income from a, from a rental perspective. But you just need to ask your agent to walk it through. I mean, that's their, that's their duty. They have a fiduciary duty as a professional to walk you through and explain what that proposal means. And you just need to ask questions. We get it a lot. Ours is actually much more detailed than most of our competitors. And we have people call in all the time and say, hey, look, I, I want you to walk me through this. What is business income versus loss of rent? Uh, do you have actual cash value on your roof? Do you have a w water uh, water limit, uh, water damage limitation um, and all of these details? So just have them walk walk you through it and then you'll you'll be more comfortable. But fundamentally... You just have to understand there's two parts, uh, and in the rental business, three parts to any insurance policy. There's property coverage. That's an exposure. You own that asset, and you need to protect that asset. So what do you need to protect it from? Fire, wind, hail damage, water damage, vandalism, theft, so on and so forth. But it's the asset that you can touch and feel. I own this asset. I need to protect this asset. The second piece of the policy is what's called liability. And that's any bodily injury or property damage that you could be held liable for. A lot of people forget that, but in the liability component of an insurance policy, there's the liability for property damage. So let's say you own a short-term rental, it's 4th of July, and the renters burn your neighbor's house down. Well, that's property damage that you are now liable for. And then the third component would be the income generating component of a rental property. It obviously generates an income. You need to protect that income in the event of a loss, and you need to dig into the details uh, from the income uh, side of things. But again, core concept here, that's it. There's nothing else to talk about. There's property coverage, there's liability coverage, and then there's income coverage. Is anyone else terrified yet to have a short-term rental? With that <laughs> <inside>? <laughs> yeah. all, all these horrific scenarios you're throwing at us, Darren. <laughs> yeah, it's like I need to go back and like uh, like reread re through all of my my insurance policies right it's now. It's only once every ten years, though, guys. That's the that's the good news. Insurance once every ten years. It's just when when does it happen? But I will tell you, if you're in this business long enough, again, we've written hundreds of thousands of short-term rental properties. We have seen everything. Um, eventually, if you're in the business long enough, something will happen at your property. It's it, it's like any property though. You just have to have good insurance and and uh, move on with life. And uh, you know, it's a great industry to be in. It's a it's a very profitable industry. So yeah, let me let me ask a question because it, it kind of ties into the three parts you talked about. You talked about property coverage, liability, and then income coverage. Um, and Christian, maybe I'll point this one to, to you. When you think about those like three layers on an insurance policy, what are some things that maybe people assume are included in most policies, but that actually aren't? Like if you've seen someone like maybe get, you know, uh, surprised by, oh my gosh, I thought this was covered because why isn't it? When in reality, it, it probably isn't in most policies. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's the same thing with like your car insurance, your tires aren't covered, right? Anything that has to do with wear and tear. So like your fixtures, your faucets, like, oh, my, my shower head's leaking. That's not an insurance claim, right? <laughs> You'd be, you guys would be surprised. I get questions about it all the time. Um, 
floods, uh, named storms, hurricanes, um, fires in California. So big natural disasters are typically uh, structured as separate policies where your standard homeowner's insurance, those of you in California, I'm sure most people are aware, earthquakes not covered, right? Um, big major storms in uh, Florida, right? Named hurricanes typically aren't covered on your standard homeowner's insurance policy, right? You need to go get hurricane coverage. Um, typically, these these big large events are not, you know, those are exclusions. Um, thinking of other exclusions, uh, acts of war, right? I mean, that's not really super common in in, a, in America. But th- but that is interesting to to call out though that something like like I'm in California and I actually didn't even realize that like earthquake coverage isn't included in my policy. So like the house that I'm sitting in right now, you're saying if there is an earthquake and my house toppled over, uh, I would be homeless. You're either you're either uh, paying for it out of pocket or hoping that FEMA comes in and saves the day. I mean, that's basically your options at that point. And Tony, that's actually happened where there was an earthquake while we were recording before. Yeah, literally, there was an earthquake. I mean, luckily, it was a small one. But yeah, there was definitely an earthquake while we were recording. Um, so so yeah, natural disasters, things of that nature, um, fire. I, I guess something else, and I'm, I'm curious your, your take on this. Um, I was reading an article about... Um, Actually, two separate articles. One about California, where I think it was State Farm is no longer insuring properties in California. I read a separate article um, about a lot of insurance uh, providers pulling out of parts of Florida due to hurricanes and things of that nature. What is an investor supposed to do? Like, like say, take Florida, for example. Like, if all of the insurance providers pull out of a specific area, um, what am, what am I supposed to do as an investor to to cover my property? Yeah, this is a really good question. And something that current event wise is so important. Um, I think I, I might've said fires are an exclusion in California. I was talking to earthquakes, so I may have misspoke there. So the fires are a coverage of your policy uh, if your house burns down. But um, no, going back to your question though, um, this this is a really big thing and it's kind of shaking up the industry right now, specifically California and Florida. There's a couple more, more happenings of this across the country, but California and Florida are the two talking points for sure. Um, Florida, there's, there's a state and state offered insurance called citizens, right? It's something through the actual state of Florida. Um, and it's historically, it's been the insurance of last resort. And what that means when state farm denies you, when all state denies you, when proper denies you, when Geico denies you, whoever it is, you can't get a policy somewhere else. So you go to the state and there's a state fund that's not really ran to be a for-profit entity just to be the insurance of last resort. The problem is now it's gotten to the point where almost like your first choice has to be citizens. And even they're getting a little picky with some things now. So I know a lot of people who are literally like, there's there's not a company who will pick up this this house for me, right? Maybe the roof's old. You know, in Florida, like, like your roofs are everything, right? I mean, there, there's these things called four-point inspections in Florida and wind mitigation reports. And Florida is a different breed of animal, for sure. Um, but I mean, the equivalent to that in California, and to add a little you know, understanding behind why this happened with Allstate and State Farm basically exiting the state altogether is you can you can apply every year for for rate increases, right? So when you're operating at a loss in a certain state, you go to the Department of Insurance in that state and you start, you know, lobbying for a rate increase. Hey, we need to charge more to remain profitable. The California Department of Insurance is notorious for being one of the most picky 
and the most nightmarish to work with in terms of rate increases or policy adjustments or, or whatever the case is, right? And th- these companies aren't able to get a whole lot through. I remember this being such a big deal when I was an Allstate agent. We would have these market meetings with our with our you know field sales leader that all the time they were just like, we're fighting with the state, we're fighting with the state, we're fighting with the state. And it was leading to them just denying policies in the time being, right? And now we've reached the absolute pinnacle of that is they're just saying, okay, then we're out, screw the state, <laughs> right? Which is wild. Um, and the, the reasoning behind it is that if you're in California and you're insuring a car, what's the likelihood somebody hits a Tesla? Like pretty high, right? That's a number of the drivers in California. What's the likelihood if a car, if a house burns down, it's worth $1.5 million. Pretty high, right? So the, the issue now becomes these insurance, like, like Darren was sharing, why it runs every 10 years. Well, driving a car, it's probably once every three or four years, you know, somebody's getting an accident that requires a claim. The cost of living in California has become so extraordinarily high that how can you remain profitable, right? If every 10 years you're replacing a million dollar house and every three years you're replacing a $200,000 car, right? It's just very difficult. It's a difficult environment to operate in if you're trying to be a, you know, for-profit business. Um, and this is something, man, I, I don't know what the answer is going to be. Maybe it just ends up being state subsidized insurance. I don't know. But um, there needs to be a really smart guy to come along and rework how the Department of Insurance is in these states work and rework how we c- quote properly, which is why, you know, I'd, I'd invite Darren to be on with us. I mean, this is like they're one of the few that are like, I love Darren. I didn't even know what you said. We We require a million dollar liability. Why doesn't everybody do that? Like, what are what are what is bodily harm worth nowadays, right? Like, why don't you just require a certain set of liability to be covered, and then the person's going to come and say, "Oh, but I want to save the fifty bucks a year." No, like, if you get sued, let's have the coverage, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of insurance brokers. Admittingly, I'm one of them in California. You know, and 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 so many of them. I mean, I know a lot of my my co uh, you know co brokers, whatever I can call them, in California. Um, you know, a lot of them were writing policies just to just to live, to put food on the table, right? To make money. And, you know, you don't get paid if the policy doesn't bind. So like, you know, they start cutting coverages and then they're starting like improperly quoting and just to get the client and just to get the referral business and just to get the car when you can bind the home. And like, it just leads to this domino effect of, oh, he got me a policy. You know, like if I got somebody policy and I referred Darren, Tony and Ashley, and I gave him a really good recommendation. Now that person gets, you know, three referrals. But now he's motivated to give you all bad policies because he already gave me one. Right. And it becomes just almost like this pandemic of like everybody's chronically underinsured. And like the absolute pinnacle of this was when paradise burned down in California. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that story. Do you guys know what happened in paradise? The whole town burned down, right? Yeah. This is, this is a great, just bringing this all together and then really, you know, uh, uh, tying it to a real life happening. This happened guys. So for all the listeners, Paradise was a retirement community in Northern California. Very nice, multi-million dollar houses, right? All these people, all this wealth moved into this town, beautiful structures, beautiful houses, everything was perfect. A fire ravaged the entire town of Paradise. And this is, I've never, I've never thought of something like this, but the fire got so hot that it burned the asphalt on the roads. You guys realize how how hot it needs to be for the road to burn? Like that's how bad the fire was. Right. You couldn't even drive through the road. People's tires were popping as they were driving. They were trying to get out of the town and their tires were popping. Right. It was like it was like hell. It was literally hell on earth. Right. All of that to say the people come back after the fire is gone and they try to start rebuilding their lives. 
I'd say probably 95% of the town was improperly insured. And you can still go drive through paradise and there's probably 60, 70% of the houses that are not rebuilt. So that town is gone. Like we'll never be back to where it was because they were in California and they didn't have annual insurance reviews and their broker, their broker or insurance agent weren't advising them correctly. And they weren't insuring the properties for what they're actually worth. And when these three, three and a half, four million dollar houses burned down, they were insured for like $800,000 in dwelling. And you couldn't rebuild that house for $800,000. You just couldn't, right? And that was a travesty. I mean, these people who saved their entire lives to build up to own their retirement home either had to rebuild it in cash, which is like, I hope you got enough. Or they just had to take a little percentage of what their house was worth and go somewhere else, which is like an absolute devastating tragedy to these people who like saved up their whole lives, you know? So that, that's, that's a real life situation of in mass what could happen when improper quoting improper guidance happens on a mass scale in a small area. Christian, I want to kind of take this towards a landlord aspect. So for your example, it was, you know, probably mostly homeowners of people that were owning this retirement community, but what about a landlord that has a tenant in place? Why should we request a tenant to have a landlord or a, a tenant policy? in place? Like what are the benefits to yeah renter's policy? So what are some of the benefits to me as the landlord of requiring my tenants in case there is something that happens? And maybe you can give us a scenario as if it's the tenant's fault, like they actually start the fire or if it's something, you know, that's not their fault. Yeah. It always helps out at having a little extra liability coverage, um, breaking down the actual differences between landlords and tenants, you know, obligation, is something that I would have the conversation with, with an insurance provider, because that could vary uh, provider to provider. Um, however, you know, like if the tenant owns a dog, right? It'd be probably good to have a dog rider on your, on your renter's application. Um, also the tenant's personal property, right? Your, your policy does not cover it. So if you're renting something unfurnished and they're coming in and furnishing and the house burns down, like it'd be, be kind of nice for the tenant to get reimbursed for all their furniture, right? Their fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 in furniture they moved in. Um, their clothes, their personal property, if somebody steals something of theirs, right? Like their tenant policy could potentially cover against theft of their personal property. Um, your landlord's policy isn't going to cover that, right? Not for the tenant. It may cover something that's stolen of yours. Um, so it's just not only is it good advice, tenant policies are like $7 a month. They're like real. They're like seven. I think the most expensive tenant policy I've ever seen is like 25 bucks a month. Like they're really cheap. And I mean, I'll share a little bit about my own. I rent my primary residence, which everybody thinks is super funny. Um, I don't think it's that funny, but <laughs> um, on, on my policy, on my house where I rent, um, you know, I, I have rentals obviously, but on my house that I rent, um, my car actually just got broken up, broken into up in Berkeley. I was hanging out in my old stomping grounds. I went to UC Berkeley for college and my car had a break in, right? And they stole a laptop. My renter's policy that I paid $7 a month for reimbursed me for a stolen laptop when I was not home. Pretty cool, right? And that let's, let's really go down the chain here. If that laptop impaired my ability to work, maybe that would have impaired my ability to pay rent. Maybe that would have impaired my landlord's happiness with me. So now by having that renter's policy, I've saved all this chain of events happening where now my landlord and me have a better relationship because I could continue working and I wasn't financially impaired from losing my work laptop. So if you're a landlord, that's even more motivation, right? Keep the person's stuff protected. Just a quick side note, the same thing happened to my cousin. She was actually overseas in Europe and someone stole her cell phone while she was in Europe 
and her homeowner's insurance paid to replace her cell phone, which was crazy. I was like, I never would have thought had I lost my cell phone overseas that my, uh, my insurance company would have paid for it. All right. So, uh, Moving on here, I, I want to talk a little bit about working with the broker versus going with an agent and maybe what are the the pros and, and cons to each approach. So Darren Christian, whichever you kind of feels like more inspired here, I'm, I'm just curious, like if I'm a new investor, which approach maybe makes more sense for me going with a particular company or, or trying to find an, an insurance broker? I can start off. I mean, I, I what I can say is that there's not 100%, you know, like you're going to work with a good person percentages on either of those options, right? There's bad brokers, there's bad agents, there's bad direct carriers, there's there's good and bad of everything. Um, if there's a company that provides what you're looking for and they specialize in that and you feel like you're getting good advice, you're probably in good hands, whether that's a broker or a direct carrier. The benefit with direct carriers is you go direct and they may know their products a little bit better, right? Darren knows more about proper insurance than I could ever know. Right. That's that's his baby. That's everything he's got. Right. That's that's he knows every fine working of every claim they've had and every right. All all the the fine details. So he would probably be able to advise on a proper policy better than I can. As a broker, I have access to 100 carriers. Right. So I know a little bit about farmers, a little bit about Allstate. I know who's good at what I know a little bit about, you know, whoever. Right. And I, I it's kind of the shotgun approach. Right. I go out and I get as much information. That, so you bring it back, you interpret it. Right. And then I can kind of disperse that information. Right. In a way that makes sense to the client. So I'm kind of like a filter when you're a broker. Right. Instead of the borrower having to go to 15 different carriers, they come to me and I can kind of tell them which is the best for them. Uh, but you lose a little bit of that expertise on each individual provider. Yeah. Your perspective, right, is like the actual company thoughts on broker versus going straight. Yeah. It's a good question. And in, in life, you need an insurance agent. You need a, insurance broker. So we're not necessarily a broker. We're the managing general agent. It's a term most people don't don't know, MGA, which means we underwrite issue and do everything right. A broker and an agent could could almost be the same thing, right? But you need one for your home, uh, for your car, uh, for your businesses that you own and different things. Everyone should find an insurance agent they trust. With proper insurance, we do it both ways. We do work with insurance agents. We we refer to them as retail agents or brokers, and they do sell our product uh, to the market. Um, it's not our primary focus, but with good agents, and I know I'm talking with Christian about working together, which is which is exciting. Um, but we also sell direct. It's just sort of the the modern way, right? Progressive sells direct, but they also sell through uh, retail agents as well. But bottom line is, is you need a good insurance agent uh, just for life um, as your kids grow up and need car insurance and as you get personal umbrellas and possibly life insurance and other things like you've, you've got to have an agent you trust, something you need to do in life. Darren, I have one last question for you before we wrap up. What is the difference between getting your property coverage for a short-term rental versus what air coverage offers you on Airbnb? Can you kind of go through some of the differences in why you need short-term rental coverage and air coverage? Yeah, good question. So in order to get a loan from a bank, you need fire insurance. And if you're in Florida, you need fire and wind insurance because at the end of the day, 
we all like to think of the fact that we own the property, but we don't, especially in the beginning. The, the bank loans us money and they own the property and they need to protect that asset. We talked about that earlier, right? And the biggest exposure they have is if that property burns down, they need to know that that property is going to be rebuilt. So everyone who owns a short-term rental property or long-term or mid-term for that matter, you, you, you typically need insurance unless you own it outright. If you have no outstanding balance, no loan on the property, you could technically self-insure that property and say, I, I don't want home insurance. But no matter what, that that's a that's something that you need to have. Now, if I know the story of air cover very well. And if we go years back, Airbnb was, was obviously trying to get hosts on their platform to grow the business. And one of the, the friction points was insurance. And so they came out with the host guarantee, which is a property coverage. And then the, the host liability, which is host protection, which was the liability. They've obviously rebranded that now as air cover. And it's all combined, but it worked extremely well, right? List your property on Airbnb, but don't worry about all the insurance components because we've got you covered. Um, we work with Airbnb quite a bit. I mean, again, I, I, I won't say that they've never paid out. We've been involved in multi-million dollar lawsuits with them where we've been the insurer and they've stepped up and there's been other ones where maybe they haven't done such a good job. But at the end of the day, your name is not on air cover. It's their insurance policy. They decide to provide to you guys, but as hosts, but this is the core concept is, and, and this is a huge fundamental mistake in the industry is I don't want to tell my homeowner's insurance carrier that I'm short-term renting my property and I'm going to solely rely on air cover. So let's think this through. You invest, you buy a short-term rental property. You buy some type of landlord or homeowner's policy. It's fairly inexpensive and you have that on your property. You have supplemental coverage through Airbnb, assuming that all your bookings are through Airbnb and you don't, you have no direct bookings. So you're solely relying on air cover for any type of that protection. And then a big tree falls on your house and damages your house, causes $100,000 in damage. What was the cause of loss? Wind. Wind caused the tree to fall on your house. So you call your insurance company and you file a $100,000 claim for roof damage. If that carrier finds out that you're running a short-term rental property, they can rightfully deny that claim. They can say, you're a short-term rental, you wrote this policy as a, as a long-term rental landlord or as a, um, as a primary residence, there's simply no coverage. And people sometimes don't believe that. They say, really? They can just void my coverage altogether? Yes. On our website, we have case after case after case. And the one that I always tell people, because it's so cut and dry, is just go to Google and search Emily Richer versus Travelers Insurance. It's public domain. It's on the internet. Exact scenario that I just told you. She had listed her Airbnb property for two weeks. She got like three bookings, $100,000 tree claim denied. She came back and sued travelers in California and said, this is bogus. They have a right to defend me. They need to pay. That's one example of so many lawsuits that are out there. So 
Thinking of air cover as a backup plan, fantastic. If 60, 70, 80% of your bookings are run through Airbnb and it gives you a warm and fuzzy and you feel pretty good about having that extra layer of protection there, if something goes wrong, great. But at the end of the day, you need to have insurance specifically designed for what you're doing at your rental property. Otherwise, you'll have no coverage. And 95% of property damage claims are fire, wind, and water damage. None of those have anything to do with a short-term rental property. Fire, wind, water damage. That's what you're paying for. And so you've got to have your own standalone policy and look at air cover as a nice backup. All right. That's a... Uh, both enlightening and scary. I just looked up uh, Emily Richter's uh, case here and yeah, see what you're talking about here. Um, last last question for you uh, before we, we wrap things up here. Um, if you guys can just each give me maybe like, hey, here's the one thing for this niche that you need to make sure is included in your insurance policy, kind of what your thoughts are. Um, so Christian, for you, I'd say we already talked a little bit about long-term rentals. We didn't talk about flipping as much, but if I'm flipping... Just quickly, what's one thing I need to make sure I have in that insurance policy to protect myself? I'd say for flipping, I'd say the company doing the flip should have general liability. That way, if one of the workers gets hurt at a, a construction site is is a you know obviously a danger. Um, need to have some commercial general liability because if it's just you and your buddy flipping and you know a part of the roof collapses on your buddy, like you know buddy may not be your buddy anymore. He's going to try to go get his medical bills paid for. Right. Um, so it, li- you guys can see anything that you ask me, I immediately jump to liability because like you can rebuild the property, right? You can, you can, you can fix a leak. You can fix, you know, a, a blown off roof, but you can't fix somebody getting injured a lot of times, right? There's, there's a loss of income there. There's a loss of value of life, whatever the case is. That's where these big lawsuits really tend to happen. It's always about liability. Right. Those those are the, the, the massive ones. So that's I, I would say just talk with your insurance provider. And make sure you have the liability during the bill. Gotcha. OK. Liability for the actual construction site. And then, Darren, like if there's one thing that someone who today maybe already has insurance for, you know, what they think is good insurance for their short term rental. What's one thing they should add to really make sure that they're covered as well? Well, I'm going to hit two things just because I want to focus on property and then focus on liability. So from a property perspective, if we think it through, I have this beautiful property and I'm entrusting that property to short-term rental guests on a regular basis. What is my biggest concern? What is my biggest exposure? And your biggest, biggest exposure is damage to that property caused by a guest you may end up having 500 wonderful bookings and then eventually you get the Airbnb nightmare, which again is very rare. This doesn't happen all the time and they destroy and really trash your property. You really want to have no limit on damage caused by a guest. So no matter what, if you get that terrible guest and they trash your property, you have no limit on damage caused by a guest, which you're only going to find uh, at w- one place. Um, so that was a little self-promoting there. Uh, the second would be a minimum of a million dollars in, in liability coverage. And, and Christian touched on this a lot is a hundred, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars is, is a good start, but really you need a base layer of a minimum of a million dollars 
in liability coverage uh, on your short-term rental property with your name on it. If I could add one more for free too, if anybody is driving with the state minimums on your auto insurance policy, you are committing a crime. <laughs> get get off of state minimums. And state minimums just means in California, it's 1530. You, you can drive around California with $15,000 in coverage. $15,000 doesn't buy a, a tire anymore, it feels like, <laughs> right? Um have a review with your insurance. There's no point in insuring your home for millions of dollars if you're driving around your car with your biggest risk factor at $15,000 in coverage. I get it. You're trying to save money. But in the event you hit somebody, especially if you're driving around in a high cost of living area, the chances of you hitting a Tesla or a Lambo or a Range Rover is 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 fairly high, right? Get insured so you don't have to take 15 steps back if, God forbid, something does happen, right? Knock on wood. But... Yeah, that'll be one I throw in for free. Not real estate related, but please, please get off of state minimums. Well, Christian and Darren, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, Really enlightening episode. Uh, Put a little fear, I think, into all of us. Uh, But good that that we can um, go and take a look at all of our policies and make any corrections and also going forward, making sure that we are properly covered. Um, Darren, can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah. Proper is www. If I remember correctly, that's the world wide web, uh, proper.insure. So www.proper.insure. There's no.com. So proper.insure and you can get a quote in three to five minutes online, and uh, we, we really do think of ourselves as the education company from a short-term rental insurance perspective. So get connected with one of our agents. And we love coverage comparisons uh, on your current insurance or whether you're shopping insurance or renewing insurance. That's how we built the brand. So our average call is about 45 minutes, believe it or not, um, because once you get into that property liability business income, that the questions just start to come and, and that's how we've built our brand and our trust in the industry. So, and Christian. Yeah. For me, um, I'm feel like all over bigger pockets, but the one broker on social medias, um, if you want to get in contact with me, um, Christian at the one brokerage.com, um, is an easy find. Um, and I'll put some links down, down here and whatnot, but, um, appreciate you guys having us. It's been fun. Good. Uh, kind of bringing bringing the scary reality to the forefront and making sure people are advised and guided the right ways. Yeah. Important. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm Ashley at wealth from rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson. And we'll be back with another episode. See you guys next time. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there.
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.